This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. again everybody to the disney film project podcast this is the show where we talk about the films of the walt disney company and all their assorted subsidiaries from pixar to marvel to lucasfilm and everything in between we talk about all the different studios that are churning out films for the walt disney company seemingly on a daily basis these days I am Ryan Kilpatrick, host of this show, and along with these fine folks, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find the latest and greatest information on Disney films. You can find the show notes for this show. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews. You can find reviews of old shorts and films. So make sure you go on there. You might just learn something that you didn't know before. Joining me, as always, we have our film experts. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is the Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works at OnTheGoNMCO.com, and he's so groovy he didn't even need a new groove. Nope, because I have three. Well, sure. Slow, medium, and, and large, right? Yes. Understood. Slow, medium, and large? All right. I'm with yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't even have to say fast because it's just you're grooving large and in charge. All right. I'm in. Yep. I'm there. Woo-woo. Of course, we also have Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. Brianna, how are you? Ryan. Yes. Oh, wait. Back to you. How are you? <laughs> I am doing incredibly well, and how are you? Fabulously so. That is awesome. I'm talking with my favorite people about movies. I mean, how could I be any better? Absolutely. And one of those favorite people is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, our fine producer who edits this rambling into coherence each and every week. So you can thank her that we do not have long and involved discussions about the ins and outs of comic book history uh, because that happens. You guys just don't have to hear it. Um, you can find Cheryl on Twitter at Cheryl P3 or you can find it at about.me slash Cheryl P3. How are you, Miss Cheryl? I'm doing good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. All right, so we are gathered here this fine evening, afternoon, or morning, whichever it is when you have chosen to listen to us, to discuss one of the latest Blu-ray releases from the Walt Disney Company, and that is the combo pack of Emperor's New Groove and Kronk's New Groove. So I believe it was just under 100 episodes ago that we discussed Emperor's New Groove, so you can go back in your podcast feed and find that, or you can find it uh, in the archives, just go to DisneyFilmProject.com and you can find the archives for the show and listen to that. But we are here today in the fine tradition of the recent sequels we have been discussing to discuss Kronk's new groove. Yes. The it was episode 33, sequel. by the way. Thank you. All right, episode 33, everyone. Yes, we're here to discuss Kronk's new groove, the direct-to-video sequel uh, starring Patrick Warburton as the ever-lovable former sidekick Kronk, trying to discover his groove. 
much in the tradition of Cusco from the first film, uh, which Cusco illuminates for us very early on in this film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> they had to work him in somehow. And it was pretty obvious that they had to work him in somehow because that's pretty much what they do is just sort of shoehorn him in. Uh, in in the same sort of way, though, that he kind of jumps into the narrative in his his movie, as he calls it. Yes. He, he does the same sort of thing here where he sort of interrupts the film itself. So let me ask that while we're talking about this. Did anyone else have a problem that he is basically interrupting strips on a film and this is a film that was never released in theaters. Anyone else find that to be a problem? No. <laughs> I found this whole movie to be a problem, but anyway. But I think we should say that we are spoiling, before we go any further, we should say we're spoiling the Emperor's New Groove and what happens. Clearly. Because I watch, because, well, I don't know. Someone people. People might not think we're not spoiling movies these days. That's right. Everybody everybody who hasn't been spoiled already can go watch it or go listen to episode 30 and get really spoiled on it and then come back here. Yes, and listen to us giggle quite a bit because I believe we all enjoyed The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Absolutely. Yes. So, like we said, in the tradition of the direct-to-video sequels that were coming out at this time by Disney Toon Studios, I mean, you had we, – we've talked about many of these on previous shows, but you had you know, Hunchback 2 and Mulan 2 and Atlantis 2. This is Emperor's New Groove 2, as the original title card says, and then it's replaced with Kronk's New Groove. And as Cusco so helpfully explains to us, it is actually Kronk's movie, not Cusco's. So Cusco, as mentioned, is briefly in it, just sort of interrupting the non-existent film strip and then bows back out just to sort of illuminate a point here or there. But for the most part, it is all Kronk all the time. Yeah. Which is probably the main criticism you see if you look at any critic reviews of this is that, you know, Kronk and Patrick Warburton was a great character for a sidekick comedic relief role in the first film. Not so much as the main crux of the story. That's, I mean, if you if you just look at some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes or some of the other places, that that would be, as far as I could tell, the main complaint that critics had with this. People say the same thing about Wolverine movies. It's true. Although I personally can't get enough Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Even the last one that was terrible, I enjoyed. <laughs> I also think I I I mean, to be real realistic, this is a two. Like we've discussed with many other twos in the book, they're not exactly the best filmmaking of filmmaking. So, um, I don't understand why the critics would have high hopes on this movie. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fair. <laughs> I think if you go in and you're you watch Emperor's New Groove, you watch the cartoon series. And you watch this, which we watched Shadow Order, I think. I think we watched this before we started watching the cartoon series. I'm not sure on that one. Well, it, 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 I mean, the reason why it's important to bring that up is because the cartoon series did not actually start until after this movie takes was released, even though the cartoon series takes place before the first movie, maybe. Yes, there's time travel involved, folks. Todd? What? Yes. I... I <laughs> I broke the Aztecs. 
All right. Well, we'll address that later. So, yeah, th- this that that's the, that's the big thing is that this is, you know, as Cheryl mentioned, there's a TV show, show that began after this. Uh, you know, there was there was a lot of kind of at this time of the Disney company, them trying to take advantage of these these animated films and really exploit them for direct to video and, and TV. And so Kronk, who is a side character in the first one, becomes the main character here. For that reason, right? It's 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 definitely for commerce, and because he was a popular character, they felt like there was a chance to take advantage of of his popularity. I cannot cannot blame them for that. So this one is all about Kronk and his quest to find fulfillment. Right. That's that's probably the the nice way to say it. Um, and fulfillment for him comes down to getting the big thumbs up from his father, Poppy. Yes. And he mentions that that would fulfill him about 792 times throughout the film. It's very important. It, it is. It, it bears much repetition. I, I think the best part is that he – like the whole film he carries around the crayon picture of his pappy there, poppy. Yes, he does. And and even the crayon drawing comes to life at one point during a dream sequence. That's right. It doesn't. He runs. He runs over a rainbow with the with the crayon poppy there. I have a weird thing looking at IMDb. Yes. The guy who's the voice of Poppy looks yes. like the character of Poppy. Yes, well, he does. Disney has a tendency to do that. I thought that was funny. Yeah, Cheryl, Cheryl, so Cheryl's talking about John Mahoney, who was uh, the, I guess, best known for the father on Frasier. Yep. That, yes, he, yes, that's yeah, the main I, thing he's done. Yeah, so, um, and that, that's where, and, and uh, most, all of the original cast was back with the addition of him and Tracy Ullman, who plays the Birdwell character. Yes. Also, John. Also, John Mahoney was in the last movie we reviewed. If it, well, we reviewed um, um, which was Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Yep. Yep. He sure was. He he had he had it good with Disney at this point. I wonder if they like signed them signed these voice actors like to contracts, saying you must do like so many films with us. I wonder. I- I don't know. Hollywood doesn't really work like that anymore. But usually, there's options involved rather yeah. than upfront deals. Yeah. So. But uh, yeah. So there you go. Um. Also, uh, this is interestingly, this is John Fiedler's last film. Oh. Uh, best known for the being the uh, voice of Piglet. Oh, that I did not know. Yes. He he plays Rudy, or from the original movie, he was just old, the old man, but it. He's Rudy, because at this point they were already naming him Rudy for the uh, cartoon. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's this is very much a callback to the first film. So if you if you for whatever reason were to try and go and watch this and you had not seen the first one, this wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to you because there's a lot of stuff that calls back to the first one. Yeah, but and it spoils the first one. In fact. Yeah, that's that's the whole intro is like well, I mean like the first scene is you see you see uh Kronk in the restaurant from from Emperor's New Groove and it basically explodes into a mountain of cheese and then we flash back to earlier that same day to explain why that happened and Kronk takes you through the the entirety of the first film. 
Yes. In, in about, what, 20 seconds? Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. He does it like it's like a slideshow. Yes. <laughs> Which is a trick that they used in the first one, right? Did, uh, when, when they did the break-ins, when Cusco did his break-ins in the first one, he did slideshows. Yes, he did slideshows. Slideshows and films. Is based, films within films was uh, Cusco's thing, and so... But uh, it, it's very much, you know, like like all the interrupt. The, what did he do? Three or four interruptions in this? I think it's just three, right? And then, oh, uh, then he shows up at the end. It's three, and then he shows up at the end. Right. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's three, yeah. and then he pops actually into the movie itself. But uh, the interruptions are something that's carried throughout the the television series. It's just like it's his shtick. So that breaking the fourth wall thing. So. Yeah, that's that's his thing from the from the almost from the very beginning of the first film. And as we learn here, Kronk is a little capable of it as well. Yes, which was odd. <laughs> I I like how Kronk is both the the main character and the narrator <laughs> for much of the film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like all Patrick Warburton the whole time, so. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think that's honestly like that was the critics' biggest problem with it, and that's my biggest problem with it. Is I adore Patrick Warburton. I think he's a great. I shouldn't say great actor. I think he's a great comedic personality. And so, given the right script and the right place, he's he's extremely funny. And I think he's good on you know thinking on his feet just from what I've seen and that sort of thing. But a little goes a long way with him. And so, at a certain point, that voice goes from cute to grating. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost as if they said, okay, every single funny thing that he could say, let's just put it into this film at once. Yeah, I, was, think, I think that's right, yeah. And then make stuff up. Right. Yeah, that was too much. Yeah, because you mentioned the TV show, and so back, the setup for this is, is, like we said, you know, he's trying to get the big thumbs up from Poppy, and, you know, Kronk is the toast of the town because he's the chef at the at the diner that we saw in the first film. Mudka's Meat Hut. I, excuse me? That's the name of it, Mudka's Meat Hut. Okay. Well, okay, Fair. so so from the, just a little background from the universe, there is – there's it's, it's a chain – of restaurants, but you didn't know that. Well, it uh, does look like Bob's Big Boy. This one looks like Bob's Big Boy, but each one actually has a different theme based on a different other restaurant. I think in the ser- in the television series is where where this all comes out. You see like like four more of them because there's one in the city. This is the one outside the city, and then you learn that there's actually thirteen of them, but the thirteenth one always has had problems. So. That's what, I, that's what I vaguely remember about the series and the Mudkiss Meat Huts. Mm. Right there, in a nutshell, done. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's interesting that you, you know, we, we're talking about the television series, right? Because, like I said, the setup here is, you know, Karonk is the toast of the town, he's running the diner, and all this kind of stuff. And then he gets a llamagram, which I loved. Llamagram. You know, I'm a big fan of llamas. <laughs> yep. And. Poppy is coming to visit and wants to see his big house on the hill and his wife and children, right? Because Poppy and Kronk explains this to the waitress in the in Mutka's meat hut uh, that that was the thing that Poppy always wanted him to have, and that's how he would be judged a success. But but from there, he talks about how he had these things in his grasp, and he basically let them go. And to me, it feels like these were two episodes of the TV show that they put together to make a film. 
it, it may have been just a test to test to see if it was still viable. Yeah, I think that that, that could be it, what it was. Um, <laughs> I some of the things I like. I, I mean, look, I I probably like this more than everybody else does this particular movie. Um, to be fair, but I agree. There's even one point I can't remember exactly when it is, but there's actually like a black fade out, and you can actually like count to three, which is very reminiscent of like where a commercial goes. Yes, I, I, I remember this because I that's kind of what brought that thought process on too. Was was I saw that and I was like, hmm, that seems like it seemed out of place almost, and I can't remember where it was though. Yeah, I can't remember where it was either. I want to say it was like when he was already in his uh, temporary home, as I'll put it. Yeah, I think that could be it. <laughs> the temporary home. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this this breaks down basically. It's 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 weird structurally because the whole movie almost is told in flashback, and yes. then there's flashbacks within the flashback. It 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 is a little odd in that. Yes, I mean it, it works. Like I don't really have a problem with the way that it works, but it's just it's not something you see a lot. As far as how to structure a film, and as Cheryl said, obviously they're not putting their best story technicians on these films. But it's just, you know, it's it's it, it ends up working, which is odd to me because you would not think it would. Because I think, you know, as we've seen talk before about this, the going to t- um, as seen by TV movies. I think maybe they also were testing this. Could have this been like a TV special? Instead of it being on, you know, Blu-ray, you know, yeah. type of thing. There's not a lot of background online about its about its construction or history, so it may very well have been intended for that. And they just like many other, they said, "Ah, let's just put it on DVD and see what happens." Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I'm not. I, who knows, right? I mean, at this at this point in time, like we said, they, they had Disney Toon Studios churning out as much product as they could, because anything with the name Disney on it on the DVD shelves was making a lot of money. Was flying off the shelves. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Can, All right. Can we, can we discuss Poppy's photographs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, when when Kronk is discussing his father poppy um how he uh responds to cronk over the history of his thing cronk tells this like you said the flashback within the flashback where how when he was younger he had his dreams of being a chef shattered by his father in the whole nine yards there and he said and he has a picture of each one of his father's evil looks in his wallet yes which is scary yes and they were because i wrote this down the cult shows her the frenzied eyebrow, the grimace of doom, the sneer of despair, the crippling wince of guilt, the scowl of impending wrath, and he describes it worst of all, the nostril flare of total rejection. Well, I mean, to be fair, if it was something was going to be worst of all. There's nothing evil as nostril flaring. I tend to agree. Yeah. So he's trying to avoid all of that and get – instead, as he mentions a lot, the big thumbs up from Poppy. Yes, that's that's what he wants. He wants the opposite of all that. Correct. Yeah, so Poppy, you know – Poppy apparently reveals his emotions through gestures, which I'm sure many of us do. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Right. So so now now so he 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 t- discusses that like you said with um the waitress who I believe her name is Mata. Like what's a Mata? Right. Right. Oh yeah yeah. Okay, and uh, sorry, couldn't resist that. <laughs> and so then he goes right to flashback again, right? Yes. Okay, I guess I'm trying to like remember how all this because it's like you said, it bounces in and out of flashback and flashback within flashbacks and very Inception. Did you see what yes, I did there? Yes, it, it is. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if Christopher Nolan had in it, had a hand in this. <laughs> I don't know. He's it's... not in the credits. No, no. We'll have to, we'll have to look it through. But he goes. To, I love. I love that the home for seniors is the flickering embers. Home for seniors. Yes, subtlety is not exactly at play in this. I think that's fair to say. But that's true for the original movie too. A- absolutely. But what I was going to say is that there, there is a difference in the humor between the two. Like neither are subtle, right? But and which is what you would expect when you have David Spade and Patrick Warburton doing the majority of the jokes. Hmm. Um, in the first one, though, you did have the humor was a little bit more uh, sarcastic and slapsticky, and this is so there was a bit of subtlety to it. Like it's there's some dry wit in the first one, whereas in this one it is very much like visual gags or you know body odor gags or you know. Th- there's a moment that we'll get to where there's an impersonation of someone from another film. Yeah, they're marketing to kids. They're trying to do that yeah. thing that – actually, to be fair, Disney is actually clever about this in their animated and other and other various kids shows is they really try to inject some adult things in which doesn't happen in this part of the film but I think happens more in the second part of the film. Okay. Um, where they just inject things in for that adults catch that the kids are just never, ever going to understand. Like there's this whole string of movie references at the end, Saturday Night Fever, Titanic, right? All mm-hmm. sorts of things like that, and like peop- you know, kids don't get that. They're just seeing the characters do silly things. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is, this is a very silly, silly movie. Like the first one was, so it's not off tonally, and I think – to, to be honest, that's why uh, – and you mentioned that you like this. I mean I, I thought it was okay. I, I didn't like it just simply because it's not as strong as the others. But for for a number two film, it's better than like Hunchback 2 or Mulan 2. But I think that's because they they kept the spirit of the original films. Yes, and films, the, characters feel, the characters all feel like the same characters. Yes. There, that is – there's no question there. Yeah, no, they de- they definitely definitely do. So yeah. fans should so fans may be interested in watching if they haven't before. Yeah, and, and if you're going, this is one where like if you're going out to buy the Emperor's New Groove on Blu-ray, and I think we all enjoyed that one. Like you 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 could definitely take a spin through Kronk's New Groove. I don't think you're going to watch it a lot, but you know it's it's definitely worth the worth the, the watch. Uh, but just know what you're getting into, I think, is probably the, the best way to say it, right? Like, yep. to Cheryl's point, it's a number two. So, all right, so we have two stories. We have two stories that Kronk is telling in flashback uh, to to Mata, the waitress, right? Mm-hmm. And the, so the first one is dealing with his house on the hill. 
Right. So as you said, he goes to the flickering embers home for the for the elderly and he's delivering lunch and uh, talking with them. And obviously, Kronk is a huge hit with all these people. He's you know, he's the best. As we established at the beginning of the film, he's the toast of the town. Everyone loves him. And he gets they, they give him some money for him saving up for his house on the hill. So, again, he can get the big thumbs up from Pop, Poppy. And we see that someone is spying on him. Someone with a long purple telescopic lens. Very long. <laughs> hmm, who could that be? Yes, and as I was going to say, if you saw the first one, you know immediately who it is, and that would be Yzma, uh, Eartha Kitt, reprising her role as Yzma, uh, corners Kronk and brings him down to her lair after he leaves the the home for the elderly, and says to her that she he has turned over, uh, she has turned over a new leaf, rather, and even though she has to read it off of her hands, she is dedicated to helping others. <laughs> yes, yes. Huh. Um, so, so again, really not subtle. No. no. They did. Yeah. So the reason why, um, it also, if you remember, at the end of the first movie, she's a cat. Yes. And and she says and, and she they make the comment that she got better and he goes she goes, Well, mostly and she still has a cat tail. And ears, best I can tell. I don't know if that was ears or just her wearing the cat wrap on her like a hat on her head that happened to have little cat ears on top of it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure either. And then they go on an adventure on It's a Cat World after all. Slash, please, Splash Mountain. Yes. Creepy yeah. ride. This is a ride that they should recreate, folks. Yes. I agree. I agree. I agree. They should definitely have an Yzma's Lab ride. Forget forget having Cars Land and Pixar Land and, and whatever else. Let's just get this Yzma's ride with you go through like something like a fake It's a Small World, then you go on this drop. I think they should get take out Stitch's Great Escape and put that in instead. Nobody would miss it. Yeah. True. It's True. all uphill from Stitch's Great Escape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I will say my 11-year-old son loves that ride. I know. Every time we go, we have you break you and he break off from us, and he has to go on it with you. I know. He, he loves it. And Sally's like, I ain't going every single time. Yes, <laughs> it's very true. When you guys end up on the People Mover or Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor, and there I am in Stitch's Great Escape. So I hate you all. <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yes. The idea here is that Yzma can sell these older folks who have complained about their age a anti-aging potion, right? And she, but but they're not going to believe her because she's been evil in the past and present. But she doesn't tell Kronk that part, so they they will believe Kronk. So Kronk needs to go with her to sell them, and all of a sudden we must break into song. Indeed. Oh. Well, but she convinces, but she convinces him with the. Uh... By using Pappy's thumbs up because she overheard the whole story. Yes. So she uses he she uses his need against him. Correct. And I've I've poked fun a little bit about the fact that you know that they mentioned this many 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 times throughout the movie, um, but 
at least his motivation is very clear, which is you can't say the same about many of these you know, direct-to-video sequels. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I mean, it's very true to the characters. I mean, he is as clueless as he always is, right? In, in, indeed. <laughs> yeah, and he is completely – he is just a big, nice guy who it's easy for people to take advantage of. That's, and that's who his character always is, so, and that's what she's doing here. She knows that, so she's leveraging it. Oh, completely. Yep. Yep. So she goes into this song about help me to help you to help them or something <laughs> of that nature. That's the song. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of cool. Kind of a good song. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the midst of that, they start the whole business of they start selling the anti-aging potion to the folks – to to the elderly folks, they start paying for it. You know, Kronk's getting money, Isma's getting money, and what ends up happening is the the elderly folks get to the point where well they can't afford anymore, so they sell their house to Kronk so that they can keep buying the potion. Yes, from Kronk. Also, also I want to point out they have a Busby Berkeley musical in the middle of the movie. <laughs> it's true. Can I just say that I want the great movie ride to fix the bubbles and the Bosley Berkeley Berkeley scene? Come on, folks. It's bubbles. We can afford bubbles. (laughs) Sorry. I now return you to our regularly scheduled podcast. I think we all agree. (laughs) All right. So. Uh, the the story here becomes that we have Cusco break in, right? Because we cut down to Yzma, and Yzma is laughing maniacally because she has basically sold them sludge. Yes. And that is her scam, right? And we have to have Cusco break in because he's got to say, hey, do you get what's going on here? It's a sham. I I think... People get it, but I think they're just having Cusco chime in. <laughs> yeah, I think people would get it from the get-go. Because it's – for starters, it's Yzma, right? So. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just, uh, she uh, – she, being a cat didn't uh, turn her tail, so to speak. <laughs> nice, nice. Thank you, thank you. I'm here all night. Yes. So, but Kronk is living the dream at this point, right? Like he's up in his house on the hill. He's got his little maid servants. He's got everything he needs. You know, all this kind of stuff. Pancake not... Junction, right? Can I have a Pancake Junction? No. You need no? to take that up with Cheryl. That's not. I can't sign off on that. Pancake Junction. Are you cooking Pancake Junction? No, I want Chelsea to cook Pancake Junction. There you go. Yeah, there's the problem. We have to wait Chelsea moves in. All right. Great working on that. Okay. All right, so (laughs) we're going to table that. (laughs) But it's when Rudy shows up and he starts, you know, trying to figure out how to get the potion and all this kind of stuff that Kronk – we have probably the most awkward interaction in the film because (laughs) Kronk's angel and devil show up and start saying, hey, this guy's still old. Nothing's changed, blah, 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 blah. And then Rudy, the old man who's been his friend, starts acting like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) I'm not not saying like a slight resemblance. I mean literally saying the exact same words. 
You really? Yes. No kidding. That was bizarre. Also, we forgot to mention that Kronk has two assistants, Margentina. Indeed he does, who, yes. who disappear at the end of this flashback. Yes. Although they're very concerned about Kronk not getting the big thumbs up from Poppy. They are. They are. It's very sad. Also, they're the biggest, they're the, literally the biggest and longest departure between the setup for the joke and the actual joke. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's true. Right. Just, just so, I, I, do we ruin the joke? We'll ruin the joke. Yeah, so no. it's, it's it's Marge and Tina. First of all, we can tell the part because Marge has a big M on her outfit, and Tina has a big T. But uh, at the end, when they're at the end of this sequence, which we'll get to, uh, they're like all upset because he's he's given his home up and all, and on and on and on, and they don't know what's next for him because they've already got jobs. They're yes. they're okay, <laughs> and he and he goes and he literally goes, "Don't cry for me, Marge and Tina." He really <laughs> does. Yes. But this that, is like fifteen that's the end minutes. Of that flashback, yeah. This is fifteen minutes later, though, <laughs> after setting up the joke. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that, and it's not a great joke. No, it's not. But you like you. It, it's when you go there, you go, "Oh, why didn't I see this coming?" Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes, so he figures out that it's a sham, he and Rudy, and they go and they confront Yzma along with the other folks, uh, the other old folks. Yzma runs away uh, once they all realize they're still old and they have sold all their clothing, apparently, because several of them are wearing barrels. Yes, and she's having a political rally to become emperor. Yes, which is Kronk remarks, did, he did not know that was an elected office. I, I'm still not sure it is. <laughs> Yes. This was a Yzma plan. Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> Indeed. And her plan's not, not so good. Yeah. Yes. So uh, she manages to steal the pink – she has her pink potion, which at the very beginning she says is her most powerful, and she takes that to avoid them hurting her. And what that does is turn her into a cute, fluffy pink bunny. Yes. <laughs> which, to be fair, keeps them from hurting her. It, but it just, not the bald eagle. Yes, that's the problem. It does not keep the bird of prey from hurting her. Yes, because like literally like two seconds after she like she wins and she's about to gloat, a, a giant eagle comes in, grabs her, and flies off with her. Yes. <laughs> in perhaps like the awkwardest three seconds in the entire movie. Which we should note has much awkwardness. It really does, because it's all about the awkward. Yes. That's that's sort of the kind of humor they're going for here. But yeah, so that's and as you said, it's uh, the the last sequence here is uh, they are discussing what's going to happen, and the old folks are walking away and going back to live in the alley. And Rudy calls dibs on the cardboard box, which I think is fair, since he did you know stop Isma. <laughs> but. That's when the angel and devil pop back up from Kronk and say, you know, hey, you've got to – you got to help this. And so he decides to sell the house back to them or give the house back to them, I assume. And, and that's the – that's how he lost the house on the hill. He had it, but he lost it. Indeed. Yes, so that's the end of flashback one. And we roll fairly quickly into flashback two. Like, yes. there's a brief interlude with the waitress and, oh, about I had the, a girl, too. Yeah, and, and it's about the the oven mitts that he uses yes. to, to bake. 
which uh, apparently are monogrammed, but we've not seen that in the first 35 minutes of the film, even though we've seen the oven mitts quite a bit. Yes. And I'm pretty sure they're the same oven mitts from the original movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One one would think, yes. Well, because the original movie is when he gets the job, right? So... Yes, indeed. Indeed. So, story number two is about the girl, right? So he lost his house, and story number two is about how he lost the girl. And it deals with another plot point from the first movie, which is the camping, or the squirrel The junior junior chipmunks. Those folks. (laughs) Yes, and and, and they're at Camp Chipamunka. (laughs) Which I know Cheryl loves because it has to do with chipmunks. Yes, although they don't have Chippendale. Well, that you know of. Maybe they were hidden in the background. You don't know. Apparently they were munchkins in the Wizard of this movie that Todd reviewed. Yeah, they were. Yes. They were the chip munchkins. So, as any good we're going off to camp movie does, they set up a rivalry between rival camps. Yes. Very important. I mean, that's that's a key to any... You, you know, know, camping movie. You, you know why, Ryan? Why One, is two, that? three, four, I smell a color war. <laughs> oh, my. All right. <laughs> that's why. That, I'm very concerned by what's happening, but I'm just going to keep moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so they know, that the, they know that the head of the rival camp is Birdwell, but they yep. don't know who Birdwell is. And... They go to – we, the audience, find out, but Kronk does not, that the leader of the rival camp is Mrs. Birdwell, uh, as you mentioned before, voiced by Tracy Ullman. And when they go to the aquatic competition, Kronk's campers are jumping in the water and doing cannonballs and all sorts of things, whereas Birdwells are doing, like, as you said, a Busby Berkeley number <laughs> – but I did want to say before, don't forget, before Mrs. Birdwell's um, children get in the water, they have um, one of them needs a little pep talk. Oh, and, I ma- and I imagine your daughter having to do this, Ryan. I could just imagine your daughter. Yeah, I, you and when me I both. I saw the scene. <laughs> what would happen if Laurel and I went to summer camp? <laughs> Yeah, it would be uh, if if she did. It would be actually probably closer to Lilo and trying to feed the peanut butter to the fish underwater. <laughs> An abomination. Sorry. Yes, exactly. But yes, at the aquatic competition, Kronk accidentally gets knocked on his keister by the rival camp leader and finds out that Birdwell is in fact a she. They swap the handshake level seven. Yes. He falls instantly in love with her when he gets knocked out, too. Which which happens, right? Yes. Any, I, any, any woman knocks you on the head, you know. I, I, I love – can we go over the description he gives for her? Please do because it's quite ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. But it I, – to me, it suits Kronk. Like this is not an unexpected – you know, reaction, I think, from his point of, from, you know, the point of view of what you know about him. He says she has feet like a pair of landlocked tugboats, knees like brass doorknobs, elbows so rough they could take the grain right off a two-by-four, and her eyes, 
And, he, and he, then he, like, digresses where he goes, they say the eyes are the window to the soul. And he goes, how we're more like steel-reinforced security doors with a combination that I just had to crack. Yes, and they illustrate all of that in the animation. They do. In fact, you know, everything. All of Indeed. it. Indeed. Yeah. Not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> you have an issue with this, Miss Brianna? I have an issue with the entire movie, but yeah. I feel like looking at her, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm looking at a shorter Shang from Milan. It is a, sort of a similar design, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, yeah, so unfortunately for Kronk's crew, they get disqualified because they, they went out of order. And there's the, this whole blow up about the competition, and Birdwell and Kronk, you know, their whole relationship gets turned sideways. And they make their vow to defeat the other, right? That their campers are going to defeat the other, which is because that's what has to happen in any, as mentioned, going to camp film. So then we get one of Todd and my favorite things, which is the training or competition montage. I, you know, I actually wrote that down. We go through a challenge montage. It is. That's what <laughs> it, it is. It is a challenge montage. <laughs> um, my, I just wrote down my two favorite things in it. Um, well, actually, only one favorite thing, actually. The other thing is just a note about it. My one favorite thing out of this whole montage is that there is uh, the point where they're having a canoeing challenge and instead of using a canoe, Kronk's team is using him. Yes. <laughs> Although I personally enjoyed the using the giant um, tree post as an arrow to not only not split the arrows as you would see in, you know, like a Robin Hood movie or in Brave, but in fact to take out the entire target. Indeed. That well, was one know, of my favorites. He's a completionist. Fair enough. Right? So we get the competition. They're all tied up in, through, through all the competition montage. And it all comes down to the chipmunk cheer-off. So it's, it's the cheerleading competition that will decide who wins. The problem being we get a little – issue here because the campers are no longer having fun, right? Because they're they're all about, oh, well, we have to practice, practice, practice so that we can beat the other team, and I don't really want to do that, and, you know, they're not having any fun. But Kronk is drilling it into them, you know, look, we got to do anything possible to win. Anything and everything, we got to do it. We got to win, we got to win, we got to win. So Tipo, one of, the, one of Pacha's children, decides that he is going to cheat. Now, we don't know what he's going to do, but he makes up his mind that since Kronk has said we're going to do anything, he's going to cheat. Well, his little devil tells him to cheat. Don't forget that, it. That's right. He does the angel devil thing that Kronk is also it's very true. doing. Yes. Seems like a crutch that they go to quite a bit. Well, it's, it's Kronk's thing, right? True. From the, from the original movie, he does it. And, you know, and he does it here. So I think it's a gag that they came up with that you know, they said, oh, we like this. And then someone's like, oh, sure. Let's go with that. It uh, It's never failed us before. Yeah. So, having decided to cheat, uh, Kronk 
you know, it, working the kids to death, then sees the kids deciding, saying that they're not having fun. And he decides that I, I have to cheer them up. And there's one way to cheer up the campers, and that's to make raisin bread. I have no idea where that comes from. And me neither. I don't I dislike guess. raisin bread. It makes great French toast, for example. But I don't understand this logic. French toast would make campers happy. A cake? Cake? I, I think what we're saying here is this is the wrong pastry choice. Correct. Scones? Scones. Yeah. Scones could have been good. Muffins? Muffins. Cinnabons. Cinnabons? I was thinking of that jalapeno scone. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> Ooh, sounds good. All right. But so he goes to make raisin bread, but he's out of eggs. And he has to get eggs to make the raisin bran. And we find out that Birdwell is also making raisin bran because she's having the same problem. Raisin and bread, not bran. Bread. Thank you. <laughs> bran would be a whole different thing. That would be much easier. They could just pour it out of a box and they're good to go. Might not make but, the kids happy either. <laughs> correct. It's true. So initially they're fighting over the raisin bread, and then they figure out, you know, we're all trying to make the kids happy. It's actually okay. We're going to, you know, and they start falling in love over raisin bread. Uh, they say bake beautiful bread together. They literally say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And this is where you get where I was talking in the beginning, where you have all these uh, flashbacks to other movies, some of which are very recognizable to Disney fans, and some of which I'm pretty sure kids don't get. Right? Like, first of all, the whole thing is Saturday Night Live Fever, Saturday Night Fever, right? Yeah. Okay. And then they do uh, they do the obvious Lady in the Tramp meatball bit, right? Mm-hmm. Except with it becomes an alien bit. <laughs> Right, because the because the meatball is really one of the bugs, and it opens up and jumps on his face. Yes. Right. Okay. And then there's a Tarzan bit where he's Tarzan and she's Jane. Right. <laughs> and uh, then they have a Michael Jackson bit where he has a diamond-studded oven mitt instead of a glove. And they're do- and they're doing Michael. I don't even know which Michael Jackson because I think it was pretty nondescript for Michael Jackson, like because they couldn't use his actual music. So. That was the, they were doing the thriller dance, I believe. What? Is that when they did the thriller dance? Is that, is oh, that is that what it was? Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, then there's a Titanic bit, right? Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. these are the kids aren't necessarily getting some of these, is how I felt. So. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. So, that's the, and that's it. That's their cooking. Because they're waiting for the bread to cook. So this bake. is what they're doing while they bake. Yeah, they do a lot in one night. They do. Because, I mean, they go through all of that, and then Kronk goes back and writes a very overly enthusiastic letter to Poppy about how he's – they're going to take it slow, but in the end they're going to get married and have lots of children. Yes, at their Jewish wedding. Which I found strange in Inca times. Well, no, because – so Kronk – but I guess this is another thing that they – that was not set up in the original movie, but it's something that they carried forward into the animated series. That must have been something they decided by this point in time. Um, his full name is Cronker Pep- how do I do that? Pepe Crankins or something, Pepe Crankines or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know the rule. And I'm Jewish, so I can say this: uh, anything that ends in a Z probably is a Jewish name. 
Fair enough. So. I mean, they certainly established it here, so. Yep. Who's to argue, right? Yes. And then, here's here's the thing. When he's writing this letter to, to his father, there's this picture of him and her surrounded by, like, a billion children, right? But if you pause it and look really closely, it's all the same kids over and over and over again, which suddenly makes it a really creepy picture. (laughs) (laughs) That does. You're right. Oh, boy. Yes, so... And then, like I said, he writes the overly enthusiastic letter to Poppy, and then we have Cusco break back in, very upset that, you know, basically that Kronk is setting himself up for failure. Yes. But literally he talks to us for like 10 seconds, and then that's that's all this cut-in is. Yep. Yep, that's the end. And so we cut to the next morning, and the kids get their raisin bread, which they're way too excited about for raisin bread and Gronk and Birdwell apologize to each other in front of everyone declare an end to the feud you know that everything's over and so we go to the chip but wait but someone's missing from that meeting (laughs) exactly it is it is Tipo who is missing right and so he he tells us what he's going to do which is he's going to put itching powder in the grip chalk of the other team and that's what's going to happen Right. So, but meanwhile, Kronk and Birdwell are making goo goo eyes at each other. Uh, he gives her monogrammed oven mitts mm-hmm. right before the competition. So they go to the competition determined to cheer for each other. And when they go to the competition, Kronk does his routine and, you know, they, they all do great. And then they're congratulating each other. Tipo slips the itching powder in as Kronk is going. And. Then Birdwell's team goes, and the itching powder causes them to fall over. And Kronk is not there to catch her, and she finds the bag of itching powder next to the grip chalk. And Kronk talks to Tipo and confronts him, is like, "Oh, what happened?" And he tells him, "Hey, you said to do anything, so I'm doing anything." And Birdwell is about to jump all over Tipo, and Kronk has to take the rap because it's the right thing to do, according to the angel on his shoulder. Yep. And he lo- loses his woman because of it. These things will happen. Will they? Has this happened to you often, Todd? No, not at all. Okay. Just checking. Yeah, so that's that's the second story. That's how he lost the girl. He lost the house, and then he lost the girl. Yep. So that's the second flashback. So now, back in the core flashback, back <laughs> poppy is uh, arriving soon and so Kronk is trying to figure out what he's going to do and he asks pacha if he can borrow his family <laughs> right can he borrow his wife and kids and pretend that pacha's house up on the hill is his house so he tries that pacha meanwhile comes up with an idea disappears uh poppy shows up and poppy gets introduced to Pacha's wife, and I, whose name I can never pronounce nor remember. Chicha. 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 There we go. Uh, and his his quote unquote kids. When he, and Poppy's all excited because you know Kronk points out the house up on the hill, and he's about to give him the thumbs up. And you would think Kronk had just died and gone to heaven from the look on his face. Just the anticipation of the thumbs up from Poppy. When. 
I would say it turns into a Marx Brothers film. Basically, for the next five minutes. It's a little weird. But imagine everybody else in the movie being Kronk's wife. <laughs> I, I didn't have to imagine it because that's what they did. Yes. Yeah. Pacha breaks in, dressed as a woman, pretending to be Kronk's wife, and he manages to pass that off. That, you know, this is his mother-in-law, and Poppy's all excited because he thinks Pacha, the woman, looks pretty cute. And Kronk's trying to cook the food because Poppy wants food. So he's trying to run in and out of the kitchen, not reveal that he's a cook. You know, he's trying to cook the food, and it's fondue night, so everybody's very upset. They want their cheese. You might see where this is going. Mm -hmm. Then Rudy comes in dressed as Kronk's wife. Then Tipo and his sister are standing on each other's shoulder coming in as Kronk's wife. Then the old folks from the old folks' home come in in diapers. And Cusco does his little drop-in as the wife. And because of all this going back and forth and back and forth and, you know, Kronk trying to cook the cheese quickly, the cheese explodes. As it and, does. And suddenly we're back at the beginning. Yes. We're back at present day. Yes, exploding cheese. Is is there an exploding cheese time-space continuum problem, I guess is my question. Uh, there are certain points in time that you can't return to because of cheese. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Probably only me, but it does. I think that's right. Yes, so the cheese explodes. Kronk confesses everything to Poppy. You know, look, I don't have the house on the hill. I don't have, you know, the wife and the kids, but I'm happy because I'm here and I'm cooking. And everyone in the village is helping clean up and they're saying how much they love Kronk and, you know, how great he is and all these sorts of things. And Poppy, you know, says, and Kronk says first, you know, I guess I really do have everything. You know, he doesn't have what Poppy wanted him to have, but he has everything he wanted. And Poppy says, not yet, you don't, and gives him the thumbs up. I thought that was a little a little forced. Well, Tipo also, don't forget, did something good. Right, but he does it after that, right? Yes. No, uh, no, oh. no, it's after this. Okay. Yeah. Literally just after it. Yeah, like right after he brings Miss Birdwell back and reunited and it feels so good. That's right. <laughs> That's their final dance number, isn't it? <laughs> it might be. Yeah. And then we get shots of them over the end credits going to places like the Eiffel Tower, which no longer, which did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we also we also forgot that the baby birds uh, apparently eat is is at the end. We're not sure, but you know, she keeps coming back anyway. Yeah, I wrote down. I, I wrote down a lot of the pictures, more than the stone, the strange stone Eiffel Tower. Um, again, their Jewish wedding. This time, their actual Jewish wedding, not their hopeful, imagined Jewish wedding. Right? Mm -hmm. um, they go on a cruise, right? Like you said, the stone Eiffel Tower, the stone Leaning Tower pizza. Uh, they do barrels over Niagara Falls. Did you catch that one? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, then Venice. Then yes. a shot of them in a Dis outside a Disney park or inside a Disney park. I'm really unclear about that. It looks like they're standing in a field in front of a stone castle that kind of sort of looks like one of the Disney castles, but not really. Yeah, I noticed that. I didn't know if that was supposed to be in uh, like another country or if that was supposed to represent. They're they're all wearing mouse ears. I just figure it's 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 uh, Aztec oh. land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
coming soon to uh, Aztec land near you. Um, and and then they finally get their home on the hill. So it, the, the uh, end credits are really just about him fulfilling fulfilling his dream that he described originally, which was to have the house on the hill and the the wife. Indeed. That's it. Done. Fini. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a complex story as far as what, what we're trying to get out of it, but it is complex structurally, I would say, like we've talked about with the multiple flashbacks and the Christopher Nolan Inception. Uh, and it, it, it's very, you know, right in your face kind of humor, like you said, Todd, because they're going for kids. So, correct. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, is, do we have anything else to say or should we? We have know, our Star Wars go- references. They are okay. Princess. Jeff Bennett, who was the Rudy, the skinny old man. Yes. Golem Rudy. Sorry, Golem Rudy. Skinny old man, the stout old man. Yep. Uh, he was many voices in the Star Wars video games. Fair enough. Interesting. And, and the other one is actually one that we used from uh, back in Emperor's New Groove. But you didn't know that. Um which was um, Bob Bergen, who is Bucky the Chipmunk, who I think is in, what, two scenes in this whole movie? Pretty much. Okay. And um, he, he is uh, famous for doing the Luke Skywalker voice in the Robot Chicken episodes that involve Star Wars. Okay. As well as he does voices in – well, did voices in the Clone Wars because, of course, that series has been canceled. But – He's also, for those people who, who might recognize this a little bit better, he is the modern voice of Porky Pig. And also, let's not forget our, our, our in-park Star Wars reference, Patrick Warburton himself. True. There is that. Indeed. Indeed, yes. <laughs> Part of you... Star Tours now. <laughs> yep. Good point. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I guess let's rate this, but we should probably talk a little more about, like, what, you know, because we talked a lot about the plot and some of the humor and those sorts of things. And um, I think I think it's fair to say that, that everything comes off as intended. I think probably as intended is the key, key thing there. But uh, I don't know. Bree, what did you think? What would you give this? Um... Honestly, I'm going to have to go with a one on this one. Um, I was extremely bored. There were a couple of laugh out loud moments, but for me, it was nothing compared to the first one. I think some films they should just leave alone and not make a sequel. And the Emperor's New Groove was one of them. So, um, yeah, sorry to say. No, don't be sorry, Cheryl. What'd you think? Well, this. This has a new meaning to me because I was able to get Todd to watch this movie without pausing. (laughs) Well, to be fair, there probably wasn't much to take notes on. No, but I insisted that we watch. I really am sick and tired of the pausing lately, folks. He does the ask. He does a lot of research for you guys. But I was sick and tired of the pausing, so I'm like, you know what? We have it. We just got it. We're watching it tonight. I'm not feeling good watching it tonight. And they're not pausing. So we watched it with a pause. And I really enjoyed this movie. So I'm giving it a four. Because of a two, it's a really good two. Hmm. And it's very enjoyable. I mean, it has 
you know, stories in it. It's enjoyable. Your whole family can watch. Sure, you might have to explain a couple things to the kids, maybe if they ask you. You just say, oh, that's a movie reference. There you go. <laughs> sure enough. So you're grading on a curve is what you're saying, right? Because it's good for a two, maybe not for... I, 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 I really do enjoy this movie. So, but then again, I found out that we actually own this Shaggy Dog on DVD. So <laughs> go with that one as you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Todd? So um, I also like this, but I don't like it nearly as much as Cheryl does. I just find it to be um, – I guess I'm grading it without the curve. Okay. Um, so for me, it, I I find it just very in the middle. So you know, two and a half. It's not it's not the greatest thing ever, but I don't mind watching it at all. So fair enough. I I, I think I'm going to fall somewhere between you and Bree at a two, um, because what Bree said about being bored that was my biggest problem. Is I got bored watching it. It wasn't that there was anything particularly just wrong with it. And again, like like we've said many times, it isn't number two of this horrid direct-to-DVD video era. And there's there's certain gems you can find within some of those films, but for the most part, as a whole, they're not that great. Uh, and, and I just got bored watching it. It wasn't that they were doing something particularly wrong. It's just, you know, frankly, I didn't care if Kronk got the big thumbs up from Poppy. <laughs> I have a question for you and Bree. Um, Amazon Instant Video has it for $2. Would you recommend our listeners spend their $2 to watch this movie? No. No. I think you could use that $2 to watch. I would rather you watch something like Rob Roy or Darby O'Gill or some of those kinds of films that we've talked about in the past than spend $2 on this. I would recommend spending the $2 to watch High School Musical 3. Indeed. Yeah. But I love that film, so. True. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would definitely Let say no. Let me ask no you this that. one. Let's go okay. with, let's 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 do some compare and compare. Right. You have $2. Your choices are Kronk's New Groove cuz you walk like you walk up to an a, a kiosk. Okay. And, and your choices are Kronk's New Groove or Cinderella 2. Which one are you going to pick? Cinderella 2. All right. Um, I need to ask a follow-up question before I can decide. Do I have a spoon handy? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a so follow-up have... question. Yes, please. What's the spoon for? To pry out my eyeballs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, uh, so in that case, I would agree with Brianna and go with uh, Cinderella 2. Wow, you guys are harsh. Sorry. Uh, but to be fair, that's because I haven't seen Cinderella 2. I've seen Kronk's new crew. <laughs> uh, for me, as yeah. long as it's not Sophia the First, I'll watch it. All right, so that will do it for this week's episode, folks. For We are looking at... Kronk's new groove. Uh, until next week, you can keep in touch with us. Let us know if you went out and bought Emperor's New Groove on Blu-ray and uh, fixed this one up. You uh, can talk to us on Facebook. You know we're there at Disney Film Project. You can also talk to us on Twitter. 
We are at Diz Film Project there. And then, of course, you can go to the show notes for this show and every show at DisneyFilmProject.com. That will give you all the information you need. Uh, so make sure you head over there and let us know what you think of this and every episode. So until next week, folks, we will see you later. My precious, Kronk just wants to keep it. We must not let him. No. Whoa, easy kid. Spit, snot, same general neighborhood. So grab some popcorn, take a sippy sip of your sip stuff, and enjoy. I'll be back later to check up on you. Now, action! Welcome to my new secret lab. Souvenir photo? Thank you, Barry the Blackaboss. Hold on, we have a phone call. Yes, it's mine. We can tell because you get a little, like, blue box This around. is a Disney film project. We can't take your call right now. Please leave a name, message, at the tone, and we'll get back to you. Maybe. Thank you, Barry the Blackaboss!